Reflex. What's that smell? Uh, gang Reflex. Vintage Tunnels from Hell. Gang Reflex. What's that smell? tell you what I just did I first of all I exercised yes listen thank you during this time when we get to the Thunderdome I need to look good in my all leather costume so yes but what's good anymore I need to look good in my complete leather unitard I don't care (laughs) but I'm not gonna have fucking cankles at the apocalypse I I think the funny part for me is that, like, I've already made peace with the fact that if this is truly the apocalypse, like, I'm not going to make it. I, I won't make it either, but I want to look good during I'm my funeral. A, Jesus fucking Christ. Stock. I'm not a You're a stock. vain I, motherfucker. You're one vain motherfucker. I'm surprised you're not totally I'm, in on this with me. I'm very vain. I'm I'm deeply vain. I'm just not vain enough to exercise. <laughs> well, fine. I think it's the only thing possibly keeping me sane. Everybody's talking about all of this fucking downtime that they have, and I'm like, what? No, there's no downtime. downtime. No, I'm so there's exhausted. no fucking downtime. So these are all our new coronavirus routines. I, you know, I work at an anti-hunger organization right when everybody fucking needs access to SNAP and everybody like and this is like one of the most essential questions of our time is how do we get people the money and the resources that they need to like survive this you know because the first step to being healthy and staying healthy is having a nutritious diet and right you know there were 40 million Americans who were going hungry before the pandemic hit right Canada has 38 million people, by the way, so 40 million. Right. And before and before 10 million or whatever the statistic is, unemployed, three million went on unemployment last week, last week week alone, last week. Exactly. So like so this it's been just like a completely frenetic pace. And do you know what's crazy? Tell me. I miss my commute. Yeah. My torturous commute that could be right. like an hour and a half, sometimes even two hours on the way My home. commute is two hours long and I miss it because I don't have time to sit and listen to all my podcasts. Yes. And, and to zone out. Like I can't fucking zone out anymore. You right, always exactly. have to be on. When I, in like 2016, started mm-hmm. like like working out my political anxieties with cooking, I realized halfway through that it was like, because if the apocalypse comes, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it. And I need to know that my family will have food. But now oh the apocalypse has come. Oh my God, that is come, beautiful. But now the apocalypse has come and I am still here. And that doesn't right. work for me. Like, I am right. not meant to survive an apocalypse. So Right. The- <laughs> you were hoping that the rapture would come and take you. Look, I'm saying that the apocalypses that we have been promised by Hollywood were all or nothing apocalypses. Apocalypsi? Mm. I believe apocalypse. Apocalypse. Okay. So, you know, they were apocalypse. all or nothing, like, like Oh, <laughs> Boo says, hold on, listener. Yeah. Boo says, there's only one because if you have an apocalypse, that's the fucking it. There's never sure, a plural but there's apocalypse. Lots of different- but there's lots of different apocalypse. It's like, scenarios. how many do you need? It's like a fur coat. 
or but there's, but there's lots of or a statement brooch. But there's lots of apocalypse scenarios, right? And right. all of the apocalypse scenarios that Hollywood has sold to us have been like one and done. Hollywood, the fucking Bible. Everything, everything that has ever sold us an apocalypse is like, you know what happens? One day the apocalypse happens. And the next right. day, either you're dead or you are figuring out how to survive in the apocalypse. You're not like working from home during the apocalypse and <laughs> you're not on Zoom. Your child. <laughs> you know, like you're not trying to maintain a daily schedule and like God forbid, like working on yourself in some I would, way. I all your would fucking love downtime. I'm telling you, I would love to see Tina Turner in her latex leotard trying to homeschool her kids seriously and and making sure she had time for a 7:30 zoom cocktail party with her you, friends you want the real thunderdome <laughs> come to my house except don't and try to get my kid to do something other than minecraft <laughs> that's the fucking thunderdome now wait a second I feel like I need to talk about my work, too, because you talked about the importance of your job during this crisis. I want to talk about the importance of my job during this crisis, which is that I, too, help the people because I work at Chopped and we give people all sorts of ideas of when they open up their refrigerator during this apocalyptic time. And they see they have a can of beans from 1997, a can of Velveeta. A couple of wire hangers and some beats. Here's what the fuck they're going to do. We provide a service to. Well, I got to tell you, it's a perfect segue because you know who else provides that service is fucking Manischewitz. God bless you, Manischewitz. Well, this is a very special Passover edition here. It's the Passover pandemic edition. It's the Passover pandemic crossover that everyone's been waiting on. And it's very fitting that we are experiencing this pandemic during Passover, is it not? Because isn't that exactly what the fuck Passover is all about, right? Well, the pandemic is what we did to other people at Passover. Well, that is also true. But I wish... (laughs) That's true. It's not what befell the Jews. That's right. Although I got to tell you, this year I'm like, where do I get a lamb? Where do I slaughter it? And how do I like, how, how do, do I, I end out this? what part how of do my I door end is it? the lintels? <laughs> I'm so nervous for the boils. I've spent a couple of really solid years working on my skin regime and Good. I can't fucking deal with the boils. That's what Jessie, I don't want. Not just the frogs coming from the sky. That's fine. I saw Magnolia. I, I know how to deal that. with this shit. You can eat Absolutely. frogs. It's fine. You can- you can eat frogs. You can. We played, let me tell you this. We played an amazing game today that was called, we're just going to make whatever we open up the Mark Bittman How to Cook Everything cookbook on. And I opened it up and it was escargot. So that, we stopped playing that game. <laughs> so look, the part that I like really can't handle is like, we just got out of the every season a new bout of lice phase with oh, our no. child. And I cannot face social isolation plus lice. Oh, God. 
Oh, I God. Can't. How is she going to get it? There's no way. That's the thing. That's the blessing God. in social she'll isolation. Get it for, if, we're, if we're really in Plague Central, she'll get it from God. <laughs> the Lord will provide. <laughs> and I can't do it. If anyone in this house gets lice, everyone's getting their head shaved. The dogs are getting their heads shaved. Everybody's getting their heads shaved if somebody comes in here with lice. Oh, great. Where do we have to go? We don't have to look pretty for anyone. I'll buy a wig. No one on Zoom will know. Oh, my God. That's genius. Actually, why am I not buying wigs? I could have a different look every day. Or you could do a community theater production of Escape from Sobibor. That's also (laughs) your option with all those shaved heads. Um, Here, stand by. Oh, speaking of which, every the fuck time I go outside, I come back and I feel like I have to take a Silkwood shower. Do you not? Oh, my God. Every time. I have gloves. I don't have masks, but I have gloves. Yesterday, we went to the grocery store. We needed stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I just don't want to. Like, I don't want it in this house. No. Everybody's Who the like, fuck you does? know, socially isolating in order to protect everybody else. And I'm like, okay. And it's a yes and for me. Oh, my God. All right. Nama, what are we talking about today? We've said, right? Okay. So today we have a book that I originally bought when we were looking at advertising cookbooks called The Manischewitz Passover Cookbook. Because I was hoping that it would all be Manischewitz wine recipes. And I forgot that Manischewitz has a broad range of products that That they would like to feature in any given cookbook. So this cookbook is from 1980. Shit, I looked it up and then I forgot. 1980 shit. That is pretty much all of the 80s. Yeah, it's from 1980 shit. But I just want to let you know very quickly. We did a very brief American history lesson, maybe current American history lesson with the kids this morning where we were talking about, I was talking about the Reagans. Yeah. And Magnus said, ugh, fuck the Reagans. And I said, well, they're dead. And then I said... Uh In front of my 10 and 11 year old, given the option, I probably would rather fuck a dead Reagan than a live one. So if anyone wants to come over to my house to be homeschooled, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Here we are in 1980 shit. So so this is a 1980 shit cookbook. 1982. But most of the recipes were actually copyright 1969. Uh-huh. So it's a reprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called the Manischewitz Passover Cookbook. So what I think is essential <sighs> here is to remember that we're not just going to go down a truly mass market Ashkenormative Jewish route here right, but we're going to right. do it specifically around recipes that are kosher for passover Fantastic. uh which for those of you who are not jewish who are listening which is a wonder to me every time um, <laughs> i think it's just one listener nita who is a goy but she's jewish adjacent and i know this bitch is ready to get her ashka nasty on with us exactly so so Passover means that you can't have anything that is leavened. And Ashkenazis take this to a truly next level bit of extremism in that like. Right. One it, might call it a bit Meshuggah. A bit Meshuggah where it's also like things that sort of just 
swell in cooking. So like you can't have like rice because it expands even though it's not leavened and you can't have all like corn Legumes. because it's a grain yeah. and right. that counts somehow. And we take a much laxer view of this um, in my family. I just lean heavy into the Sephardi side of my family at Passover. And also I don't actually follow Passover ever, so it doesn't matter um, for me. But um, but so these recipes are not just like heavy on the Manischewitz products. They're heavy on the Passover appropriate Manischewitz products. Um, mm. So so the reason that we felt compelled to present this cookbook to you all now is because if you for some reason wanted to approach any <gasps> of the recipes in this cookbook, for you, now. you have to do it now because the products are in the stores now. Okay. And just because we are Passover adjacent, it's my one chance a year to really go get matzah meal and matzah. And sure. matzah meal I use throughout the year. And matzah, mm-hmm. it's just that like one time a year, I want matzah brai. I want nothing else. Mm-hmm. I want nothing else to do with any kind of Passover food. And I hate matzah in any other scenario. But I fucking love a matzah brai because it is Jewish chilaquiles and it's so <laughs> it, delicious. It, oh, my God. If you can get your hands on eggs, which you can do if you don't shop at the white people stores, stay the fuck out of Trader Joe's mm-hmm. and stay the fuck out of the like clean, pristine, like beautiful white people markets, no Whole Foods, none of that shit. Go straight to the Mexican and the Armenian markets that have better shit anyway and a truly robust butcher counter. And then you're going to go to the Vons afterwards. No. The- yeah. And then you're going to go to the Vons just for the Passover and just cat. for the Passover. Okay, I don't know why on God's green earth anyone would keep the Pesach during a pandemic. Like, I fucking need constipation on top of all of this. Well, I mean, toilet paper is in short supply, so that's not a bad move. (laughs) Wow, you have a good point. It's a two for one, really. All right. So I'm very excited to learn about Manischewitz. I'm excited to tell you about it. Yeah. And we're going to focus mostly on the wine because I know that's that's really the big interest here. It. Right. I need some. But we'll I talk some... about the other. Pro- the other products don't really have that much of excitement around them, but we will talk about them. Although, can I just note for a second that I learned yeah. from this cookbook that Manischewitz has a product called Fishlets? <gasps> I can't. I, I've, I don't that's know what it not is. In my, that is not in my history at all. So I'm excited yeah, to hear While you're talking, I'm going to Google what a fishlet is. <laughs> I assume it's a wee fish. Is it not? But it comes in a jar. <laughs> what is it? Is it gefilte fish? No, because they keep saying fishlets or gefilte fish. Oh, God. All right. Yeah, go look it up. All right. Oh, so the source oh, is. Yeah, it's oh, what tiny is it? gefilte fishes. It's gone. Guppies. It's gefilte fishinos. It's like tater tot sized gefilte fishes. Oh my god! It's gefilte bites. I I think they're it's fishlets. I think they came it's up with the only right, good fine. name for it. They're fishlets. Fine. I like okay. a gefilte bite myself. But anyway. Bite. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the wonderful world of Manischewitz, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm so Jesse Baden, your pilot. The sources that I used for today are from Wikipedia. <laughs> Vinepair.com, NPR, Modern Farmer, Kfeller, and check this out, Ebony. Nice. Yeah, get ready, sis. 
buckle up. All right, picture it. We have watched a tremendous amount of Golden Girls <laughs> during the pandemic, I have to say. <laughs> Here we go. Picture it. Cincinnati, Ohio, 1888. The B. Manischewitz Company, LLC, was founded by Rabbi Dove Bear Manischewitz. The company specialized in manufacturing kosher food, specifically matzah. And then by 1926, it became the largest firm of matzah bakers in the world and the first American exporter of matzah. Here's a fun fact. Manischewitz, the company, is responsible for matzah being square because it used to be round. Right. Right. But he thought it was better for packaging and shipping. And He's so correct. All of the ma- correct. Now all of matzah is square. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and it was also prior to the whole industrial, the matzah industrialization complex, <laughs> the matzah industrial complex. It used to be made in artisanal batches. So from matzah, they went on to manufacture other constipation inducing products like Tam Tams. <laughs> I so, fucking love a Tam Tam. Yeah. What's a Tam Tam? It's a cracker. It's a goddamn cracker. And it's not even kosher for Passover. Well, they have now kosher for Passover tam-tams and non-kosher for Passover tam-tams. But the for those of you who do not know what a tam-tam is, it's like 10% cardboard and 90% ramen seasoning. Yes. It's just... Yes. It's like and salty, it's, And it turns out that that combination is fucking delicious. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. No With doubt. like a little hot sauce. Oh my God. I didn't even think about oh that. Oh my God. It's so fucking good. They're so oh fucking God. good. You might need Shit. a cheese ball situation. Uh, you know, I love a cheese ball. I love a but, cheese ball. Uh, now God, I, I love a cheese ball. Tam-tams. Why did Tam-tams I Tam-tams and those? cheese balls. That might be kosher for Passover. Anyway. No, because the tam-tams are not. They have now a kosher le Pesach tam-tam, Yes, I but believe. those are just matzah. Okay, fine. Anyway, <laughs> the B. Manischewitz Company also produced noodles, mm-hmm. matzah meal, and of course, your favorite, Nama, gefilte fish. Mm-hmm. And gefilte bites, fishlets. Fishlets. Um, mm-hmm, but that's not how we all know the name Manischewitz, is it's it? It's not. No, listener, you fucking lush. Mm-hmm. We're come about to pour the tea on mm. this sweet ass wine. All right, it all starts during the age of prohibition, which lasted from 1920 to 1933. And here is some trivia that I did not know. Well, first of all, I didn't know when prohibition was. I had to look it up, and that's just what do you mean you didn't know? I mean, I knew that it was in the 20s, but I oh, didn't okay. know the exact dates. No, all right, 1920 to 1933. Date. All right, okay. great. Uh, here's some trivia. You know what ended Prohibition? This is a lie. But you know what else happened in 1933? Is Hitler's rise. And then everybody was like, we need a drink. That (laughs) absolutely makes sense. It does to me. Yeah. No, it does to me too. (laughs) It's like there's too much going on. I can't, we can't do this and fight the Nazis. No, just like right now, I can't be in I can't celebrate Passover and be in quarantine. Well, I can't be in quarantine, homeschool my child, work from home when everybody else is from home, and be expected to do it sober. Nahon, you are right. Yeah. That is absolutely right. God, truer words were never spoken. Apparently during Prohibition, sacramental wines could be made, but they could not be marketed or advertised. Do you know what a sacramental wine is? Uh, Wine for 
like communion and rituals. Correct. Specifically during communion. Exactly. So turning. So Jesus's blood was allowed to be produced. Good. Okay. All right. Now, one of these sacramental wine companies was the Monarch Wine Company based in Brooklyn, New York. And they made all their money by selling to the church, Goyim, and were doing fine because they were basically the only game in town. Right. right. So now it's 1933. Prohibition's just ended. Alcohol companies start popping up all over. Obviously. And Monarch needed, because now people were selling, you know, and were legally allowed to sell any kind of wine, and the churches could buy any kind of wine. Um, and Monarch decided that they needed a bigger audience than just the churches because they had all this competition. And so over the next 10 years, they found an inn. The Jews. Good good plan, guys. Great. So Mon- the Monarch Wine Company, which was based in Brooklyn, saw the influx of Jews during and after the war over the next 10 years, specifically into the New York area. And by the 1940s, they realized they had to get the Jewish audience. Right. You see. So while the majority of Jewish immigrants had arrived in the U.S. by this time, many were still arriving every day as New York City's Jewish population didn't peak until the 1950s. Oh, wow. These immigrants were looking not only for a better life, but they were looking to practice their religion freely, which meant they'd be looking for a kosher wine. And Monarch saw the opportunity to be the player in the market. They knew of one company the largest Jewish food manufacturer at the time, Manischewitz. And mm-hmm. the Monarch Company then proposed to Manischewitz a licensing deal. They would pay the company a fee in exchange for Monarch gaining the right to use the name on the kosher wines. Because <gasps> Wait a at minute. that time, Manischewitz had no interest in making wine themselves. And they agreed. What? I just... What? Manischewitz wine isn't Manischewitz? It it's is just now, a licensing it's not- agreement? It's just a licensing agreement. It's like a fucking right. Trump hotel in and Chile or also, something. It's a Trump hotel in Chile. They did have to do some things like they had to have the rabbis bless it and everything like that. Right. It, it needed to, to be, be actually kosher. Supervision, but it was a completely different company. That blows my mind. So after Monarch secured the licensing deal from Manischewitz, they set out to find local grapes to make their wine. And the company chose to source Labrusca grapes from upstate New York. Right. It was ideal because it was close mm-hmm. enough to the city for the grapes to be picked and shipped down um, from the vineyard to Brooklyn in their factory. And then they there they could be crushed and fermented under strict rabbinical supervision. Um, oh, right. In order to make enough wine to satisfy the market demand, Monarch needed to source a ton of fruit. However, in those days, the quality of the massive number of grapes coming from upstate New York was gross. Um, and mm-hmm. it would like result in certain batches producing wines that were really, really bitter and basically like unpotable. Ew. To ensure the wines were drinkable, sugar was added to the wine, giving it a distinct sweet flavor similar to Concord grape juice. Uh huh. It was the adding of the sugar that cemented Manischewitz's reputation as this like treacly, syrupy, sweetie wine. Yeah, um, well, that's what for it is. Should it become famous, you know? So the Jews were buying Manischewitz wine. Everything was going fine, and then suddenly, <laughs> in the late 1940s, wine sales started increasing. Why? But not by the Jews. Oh. You see. During World War II, there was a big migration of African-Americans to the north, and they started seeking out Manischewitz wine. 
no one could say why. So I had to look at, I was like, why? Right. That makes no, like, someone tell no me why. Sense. And then, right. So I found out. I went, I had to look deeper and I found an article that told me is why. Is this where Ebony comes in? It is. Manischewitz wine tasted really similar to a certain wine made by African-American mothers and grandmothers in the South. So they were made from this um, this grape called the Scuppernog grapes. Scuppernong grapes were plentiful in the South. S-C-U-P-P-E-R-N-O-N-G. Scuppernong. Scuppernong. Right. They were plentiful in the South, but they were bitter as fuck. Hey. Yeah. They were like the Labrusca grapes, which is basically the scrapple of the grapes, you know? And so when the women were making the wine, they added a ton of sugar to take away the bitterness. The women, (coughs) they also cooked the grapes. They made jams and fruitcakes and all of that. So this wine, the Manischewitz, reminded them of the scuppernong oh gri- wine so that they Manischewitz had from long ago is poverty nostalgia wine yeah basically basically mm-hmm. and the dis well, and it, it's disenfranchised porn is what it is right it's, it's communities that didn't have marginalized the money. It's, it's marginalized nostalgia food right which so, which happens which happens a lot and some beautiful things happen from... I feel like gefilte fish is 100% that. Look, I think I think that there are a lot of cuisines out there that are like peasant slash poverty cuisine. Right. That, that like, you know, you don't innovate from a position of comfort, right? Well, so we like there about are some, this. We, we have. about this with the fondue. That's exactly, exactly what the fondue was. Exactly. That's exactly it. And like, you have to make the best of what you have. And mm-hmm. so... It's just that, unfortunately, in this scenario, the best with what we had wound up being truly a terrible wine. Hmm. The, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely don't disagree with the fucking headache inducement that it brings. Oh, my God. But I do appreciate that it could bring joy to our to a community like brought, with whom we hold a kinship of suffering. I feel like it brought two communities together in a way. Anyway, Monarch jumped at that new market and they advertised in many African American publications including Ebony and they hired black celebrities to hawk the product. The most prominent figure to endorse Manischewitz who could it possibly be who would bring the two communities together? It's it's Sammy Davis Jr. Isn't it's it? got to be Sammy Davis Jr. David Diggs had not been born yet, and so Sammy Davis Jr. recorded a series of TV commercials about oh the wine. Can I say that I have like a little bit of misgivings about about a Goyesha company using a black Jew to shill a truly shoddy product. It feels that very an entire other community that an entire right. other community only likes because it reminds them of like a tiny piece of joy that they had during right. the worst of times. Absolutely. I just like there's something I just that- need to acknowledge for our listeners that there is something uncomfortable in here like it would have because whitey is monetizing it yeah i don't know something about it is like uh, like somehow it's made worse that it's like a white people company a goyesha white people company doing this and like slapping a jewish name on it it feels minstrel whiny you know that's exactly what it is minstrel minstrel wine. wine all right 
All right. We've well, acknowledged. Get, <laughs> we acknowledge it. I yeah, I don't feel comfortable about it either, but here we go. Here we are. In the commercials, um <clears throat> Sammy Davis Jr. sings about how wonderful the wine is. And in the commercial, the phrase man o manashevitz became a viral hit. Oh my god. Yeah. The commercial was so popular that Apollo 17 astronaut Gene Cernan, is that his, is that how you pronounce it? Gene Cernan was recorded know. during his spacewalk saying, Manischewitz, look at that go. Did you see that? Yeah. No. Yes, he did. Are and you fucking he, serious? Yeah, I'm 100% oh serious. Unfortunately, Sammy Davis Jr. lost the gig after Linda Lovelace revealed in her memoir that she'd once joined the man in a foursome at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> Not so kosher. That was apropos of nothing, but I had to keep that in. A 1954 article in Commentary Magazine noted that though kosher wine was first and foremost a sacramental drink, sales records suggest that it was being guzzled by secular folks too. Sales graphs show peaks at Christmas and Thanksgiving, several times higher than for Passover, the article states. Even such a relatively minor occasion as St. Patrick's Day causes a discernible rise. By 1954, Manischewitz had quadrupled its production space and was manufacturing 13 million gallons of wine per year. Uh, by the mid-50s, some 80% of Manischewitz wine consumers, it says, weren't Jewish. Even in 1981... Forbes magazine described the typical Manischewitz drinker as an urban blue-collar African-American man. So what's very interesting is that this cookbook came out in 1980 shit. Because in the 1980s, everything with Manischewitz did go to shit. Because the new California dry wine started trending. And so Uh, everyone started shifting away from sweet wine because it wasn't seen as refined at all. And Manischewitz suffered declining sales and has did has never reached its heyday like of the 1950s and 60s that it you know once had. well can we um, take a second and remember what other drek people were eating in the 1950s and 60s in the first place where like their love of fucking manischewitz oh, as like table wine it like <laughs> is appropriate you know like when your house 100%. wine is alcoholic grape juice, when your house wine could just be like dressed up Kool Aid. Well, like, and I think that it also because in the 1980s is when the health craze happened too, right? And sugar became the enemy. And right. why on earth would you have that sweet fucking table wine? You know, as part of your diet, you wouldn't. It doesn't figure at all in the 1980s sensibility. But it makes total sense in the 50s and 60s. That's right. Today, Manischewitz wine is made by Constellation Brands, still using grapes grown in upstate New York, and it is still as ubiquitous as ever on festive holiday tables. Manischewitz remains the world's top matzo manufacturer and one of America's top kosher brands to this day. Now, my last piece of info is that I do have a bit of intrigue. Ooh, Concord grape-flavored scandal. Are you ready? I'm so ready. As per one of the magazine articles I read, it hasn't been all wine and honey for the company. In 1981, Manischewitz general sales manager secretly met up with managers from competitors Horowitz Brothers and Margarten at a Lower East Side kosher dairy. 
Do you know what this is about to be? Uh, is this a price-fixing scandal? It is a price-fixing scandal on matzah. Oh, my they God. Agreed to I would like to note. I would, yeah. I would like to note that I guessed it. We did you not sure prep did. this. And I I'm, didn't. No, we didn't talk about this at all. We You're didn't just talk a about this at all. And I'm really and very excited that I know, got it right. You know our people. <laughs> Um, there they agreed to fix matzo prices for the next five Passover seasons. And in 1990, the Justice Department accused Manischewitz of conspiring to fix matzo prices, eventually leveling a $1 million fine. And Good. that, my friends, Good. is they the story. They fucking deserve it. Uh, it's the story of minstrel wine Manischewitz and their fish bits. Fishlets. Sorry. And their fishlets. <laughs> Let Back me tell to you, you Nama. A $1 million <laughs> fine is appropriate and maybe too low. Because, I think it's a slap on the wrist. Because Passover is hard of fucking enough without having to, like, spend a price shit gouge for on a shitty fucking, fucking cracker. That's right. Like, nobody fucking likes that stuff in the first no place. One. You only buy it because you have to. The Goyim like it. They're like, oh, I love this. I could eat this every day. No. The Goyim like it because they don't experience it as the actual fucking bread of affliction. (laughs) There's no Jew who walked into elementary school with a fucking peanut butter and jelly on matzah and watched everybody else around them eating like lovely ham and cheese sandwiches and fucking lasagna all month, all week that doesn't fucking hate matzah. That's absolutely right. Because it's, it's attached the bread of to trauma. It's, it's attached <laughs> to trauma and isolation and exclusion for us. Oh, God. I hate it. Which is why I, like, I literally have not kept Passover since I was seven years old. I remember no. the chocolate donut that did it. I have never looked back. Oh, my okay. God. That is genius. The man genius. Passover cookbook. Like, this is a cookbook that, like, really does seem to want to make your Passover meal a good one. There's okay. a lot in here. There's a lot in here that are, like, perfectly reasonable recipes that All are right. just using, like, Manischewitz products when they need to and not because they, like, everything has to feature a Manischewitz. In these recipes, the only, like, overt Manischewitz product and they don't actually say like by Manischewitz this or that they Mm -hmm. just say like you need a half cup of matzo meal or you need a half cup of cake meal or you need whatever and that's all like again Manischewitz is one of the only games in town they know that like that's probably you know it's just encouraging but it's not but like you would need matzo meal no matter what for this for Passover and frankly most of the year I use matzo meal instead of breadcrumbs because I why I don't is know it, it better is it fluffier does it come I don't out better know. in like meatballs why don't you or something? tell our listener why I I have no idea why I think because my grandmother did it why do any of us do anything in the kitchen I think right. I like I understand the texture of matzo meal and how it's going to absorb liquid or anything else and there's like no additional flavoring happening right there's no fermentation flavor there's no yeasty mm. flavor there's none mm. of that shit and matzo so in stuff like meatballs. It's like, if I have breadcrumbs on hand, I'll use breadcrumbs. And oftentimes I don't have breadcrumbs on hand and I always have matzo meal. But does it give it a different taste or no? No. All no. Right. It's just like I'm used to it. Whatever. So my point is that Manischewitz, like, this is, like, of the product cookbooks or the product um, sponsored cookbooks right. that we've talked about, like, this one is really pretty reasonable. 
And most of the recipes, beyond being like just sort of like Ashkenazi, again, like we have our own sort of peasant food. Right. Um, even in celebration, we have our own kind of peasant food. Like oh, absolutely. we wind up nostalgic. Um, beyond that, like most of the recipes are not really gross. That said, <laughs> but listener, take heed. When- Fear not, because so, Nama was able to find seven recipes right. that will okay. make you and throw Jessie, up in your mouth. You asked me to really edit down and find seven recipes, and I, I gotta just, tell you, I just, I just want to read the names of the recipes that, that we edited out because okay. I wound That's up with. Fine. I wound up with 13. Okay. And we edited down to seven. Mm-hmm. I just Because don't these have... podcasts are getting impossible. Well, I just don't have the time between I my know. exercising, no. my homeschooling, my working to edit. I can't I, edit down I mean, a two I and a half I think that's thing. fair. Okay. And I respected you enough to do this. I needed right. your help with the editing because you know that I'm not a natural editor when it comes to gross shit. Lay so it on here the, line, are the re- sis. So here are the recipes that we are not going to cover, but that I will put on Facebook because the names are spectacular. All right, bring it on. So first, we will not be having any appetizers at our Manischewitz Passover dinner because we cut both canopy re- canapé recipes. Okay. One was for something called nippy fish canapés. What? Nippy what? Nippy fish canapés. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the other one was for tangy tongue canapes. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's the taste buds. I can't get beyond the taste buds. I know. Buds. I know. I'm with oh. you. I'm with it's you. It's like you're eating. There is no other piece of meat that I, I look that takes at. takes you back. That tastes like the actual organ that it is. I know. Right? I know. I've never been able that to get past tongue. tastes you back. You give my it a gran- lick and it'll lick you back. My grandmother would make it. My my uh, Austrian grandmother would make it for us when we would visit in Israel. And mm-hmm. like, and for her, it was this like thing that she would make us that was this like special thing that she was making us. Right. And it probably for her, it was very nostalgic. Right. For sure, for sure it was. And it was like she would cook it and then it would like wind up in like deli slices to get like tucked into sandwiches and shit Mm -mm. and I just and like Jesse has left the chat I cannot every slice looks like a a cross section of a tongue that's right it's horrible it's horrible you can totally tell what it is and I just can't do it Mm -hmm. I eat most things and I cannot I can't I eat fucking crickets like I've eaten everything that somebody puts in front of me I will try anything once for and some I just reason, eating eat the entirety of something seems even more palatable than eating just like the tongue. Like I don't know. I mean, again, we've had this conversation. Like in the carnitas world, I've eaten head, I've eaten uterus. I'm like, bring it on. But the tongue, I'm like, Ugh. no, I, know. I can't do it. Okay. I anyway, just... tangy. T- somehow the attachment of tangy to it is truly awful. We also got <laughs> it's rid the alliteration of... that gets me. All yeah. Right. We also got rid of something called Neptune Egg Scramble, which is like lox, onions, and eggs, but with gefilte fish instead of oh god lox. Right. That's gross. Oof. We got rid of something called cheese fried fish, which I think says it all. Yes, But it we've does. done the dairy fish thing so many times that I figured whatever. It's hackneyed at this point. 
We got rid of something called Yom Tov Prune Pie, which I felt bad about getting rid of because it was really the only recipe that was using the Manischewitz wine in it. But you can imagine it's prune stewed and Manischewitz wine put in a pie. And we've done so much with the prune. We've done so much we've with the prune. We've elevated the prune imagine, as high as it can go. I cannot imagine that adding sugar sweet wine to prunes somehow makes them better enough to eat in a full pie because that, that sounds terrible. The last recipe that we had to ditch... Because the title is hilarious, but it is not in itself gross. It's called Surprise Klops, spelled K-L-O-P-S. And Klops is a funny enough word to begin with, but when you add surprise to it, it's even better. And I feel, I feel bad ditching it, but it is essentially a Jewish scotch egg. Oh my god! A kosher for Passover Jewish Scotch egg, and it's like boiled in tomato sauce instead of being fried or baked. So like that actually it's doesn't sound bad. That sounds kind of great. But it's what happens on so the fifth day. Funny. No, it's what happens on the fifth day of Pesach. <laughs> you get a case of the surprise cloth. You, you thought it wouldn't happen. That's right. But guess That's what? Right. Surprise clops. So here we are with the recipes that we're actually gonna cover. No surprise clops included. Oh, my God. If those were the runners up, I can't wait to hear these fucking recipes. Okay. I'm excited. Well, we're, we're starting off a little light with just a little drink. Mm. An aperitif, if you will. An aperitif. So this is, is served. Is the base gefilte fish? This is served in tall, chilled glasses. Oh. And it is called a borscht shake. <laughs> God. Which okay. is... One quart jar of borscht, chilled. Okay, this is it's a Manischewitz. It's a Manischewitz yes. borscht. So this is essentially like beet juice. Copy that. Okay, <laughs> is mm-hmm. what it tastes like. It's very. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever had the Manischewitz borscht, but it is really not. just like very thin. Like a, I love borscht. Actually, borscht is delicious when people make it well and make it right. It's like, it's Do you- like. Thick and rich, mm-hmm. and it's like you know because it's it's essentially a vegetable soup that you then blended, and the right. mo- the biggest amount of vegetables is the beets, but not the only vegetables. Like you've layered in, borscht takes a remarkable amount of time to do well, I think, because you have to layer in all of the flavors and all of the aromatics, and then put the beets in, and then you like blend it all. So it's like like a do it's you a eat a cold soup. borscht or a hot borscht? I like a hot borscht. I do with too. sour cream mixed in. Exactly. But I, I don't do love too. cold soups in the first place. I agree. They just wig me out. I'm just. I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm not, not a the, fan. I'm not the it's one. basically like, it's basically like drinking juice but with a spoon. I don't exactly. care for it. I don't. I'm not I don't like it. it. No. Put it in a cup though, and I might drink it. But I don't like, know. I'm not into a smoothie either. I'm just. I don't I'm like a hot, either. No, I'm a hot veg kind of gal. Yeah. Anyway, I've had one gazpacho that I really, really liked, and it's yeah, still like I would have rather had it with chips to dip into it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, totally it was just hear salsa. you. It, you just mm-hmm. gave me a bowl of salsa to drink, which but is whatever. also fine. <laughs> which is fine, but like that's all it was to me. So okay, so a borscht shake, but the Manischewitz borscht that's in the jar is like a jar of they've essentially boiled vegetable broth or chicken broth like clear broth of some kind I don't know which one it is with beets in it so that it turns red and then they have like 
every jar has a few of the like whole beets in it, but it's like incredibly thin. It's like the Weight Watchers version of borscht. It's 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 like beet consomme is the is the best way I can describe it. It's like right, it's just that. like a clear broth that happens to be bright red. Mm-hmm. I got you. Okay, so it's one quart jar jar of borscht chilled, and then you add three quarters of a cup of heavy sour cream. And you whip it thoroughly with an egg beater, electric mixer, or best off a blender. So now you're making, let me just get this straight. You're making a beet shake. That's exactly it. And then you pour that into tall chilled glasses. That's the whole thing. And there are a couple of variations on this. One is called Borscht Levantine, where you take out the sour cream and you add in yogurt and you just do the same thing. (laughs) And the other one, and this is my favorite... It's called a borscht frost. Oh no. Which is the borscht oh, no. shake. But you also How is this you, gonna get any worse? So so you don't put in you don't put in the sour cream at all. Okay. But you do put in two raw eggs and combine in a blender for thirty seconds. Oh my god. So it's god. essentially you know you would you do that with like egg whites in a gin flip. Yeah. Right, where you shake yep. it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, so yep. that it's frothy. Yeah. But this is the whole eggs, like a hangover cure. Oh, my God. And a quart jar of borscht and just This is some blended. fucking Sylve- Sylvester Stallone shit. It's borscht hangover cure. What's that hangover cure? Oyster yeah. something? Oyster- not an oyster Rockefeller. What is no. it? Hair- and hair of the dog is when you just have a beer with, like, right. after I don't know, man. Hangover. I, but I know what you're talking about. Ab- is Greece and Advil. So I know, but you and I get drunk. We get hangovers when we've had a glass and a half of something. Yeah. Um so wait, 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 wait. What what I wanna what, know what? is there <laughs> is there a recipe that involves a remake of a clamato but with gefilte fish? That's all I wanna <laughs> know. I didn't find one, but we should try that. God damn. Um, all right, moving right along. Doot to do do to do. Okay, we're gonna make our way to the main dishes section, the meat-based main dish section. Okay. Uh, but first, I just need to shout out Manischewitz for including an entire chapter, not just on appetizers and soups, but on something that they call soup accessories. Ooh, say more about is, that. It's like twelve. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight recipes of things you put in soup. Five of them are just different matzo balls. <laughs> what is that? How many different matzo balls are there? There's well, only there's one kind of matzo, matzo ball. There's firm matzo balls and fluffy matzo balls because, you know, there's a debate. Oh. And then there's traditional right. matzo balls. I don't know where the traditional ones fall in the firm versus fluffy scenario those are actually made out of the tears of our elders right there's something called economy matzo balls and then there's something called what's an economy matzo ball a small matzo ball a matzo ball you get at carmax what is that and only one egg okay i don't know what is how do you make let's settle this once and for all first of all are you a hard or a fluffy i'm an in-between I want them oh, fluffy want enough the that they can I want worlds. them fluffy enough that they can float and I want them dense enough that they have like a little bit of bite to it where it doesn't feel like your mouth is just going right through it. Interesting. 
I like the and density. And the solution to that is it bacon is this, fat? No. Please tell me I it's wish, bacon but fat. But that's a really okay. good idea, actually. Um, <laughs> for, so first of all, I think that schmaltz is essential. For those non-Jews listening, schmaltz is rendered chicken fat. I think it is essential. And the I am telling everybody right now that the best recipe on the entire internet and the, in the entire world is for matzo balls already exists and it's on serious eats right. as far as i know it's the only recipe and i think it's labeled like the last matzo ball recipe you'll ever need or something like that and, and that i'm telling you it is the, the best recipe it explains all of the science of it and it gives you the like variations of what you can do to make it more fluffy or more dense as you see fit so i like the serious eats recipe with an eighth of a teaspoon of baking powder, seriously, it makes a difference. And soda water instead of the water. That's the that's what I'm going with. Wow. Okay. You heard it here and first, there you listener. have it. That's my, but again, everybody, like, matzo balls are like, you have to, you make them towards nostalgia. Like, everybody's authentic matzo ball is, mm-hmm. th- like, trying to get They're at. They're moving towards, yeah, towards childhood. Towards childhood, like the first matzo ball that made an impression on you, that's what you're trying to get at. In order to look ahead, you have to look behind. That's exactly it. So next up, something called sweet and sour, you're going to hate this, lamb tongues. Oh, oh no. Mm -hmm. Oh no. Wait a second. Wait. It's like you don't even think that a lamb has a tongue tongue and then you... Mm Why yeah, do we they... didn't need two tongue recipes, so I, I mean, got I rid of tangy true. tongue canapes and decided to go with the sweet and sour lamb tongues because I don't understand. Well, I guess sweet where... and sour would be tangy, but I can't even. Is a oh my god! I don't a know lamb where you procure must be so tiny and sweet. I know and I don't sour, know where you I even procure a lamb tongue. Oh, I don't either. I mean, ostensibly, if you're getting lamb, the tongue is there. Well, and I don't know if you've ever seen a beef licking. tongue in the store, but they're they're huge. They're massive. They're like it's a it's a big cut of meat. Like to some extent, and like, it goes I all don't the way eat down. It. I don't want to eat it, but I appreciate it that people do because you know a cow died to give you meat, and you should use every part of it. And the tongue is a, like when you see it in the store, it's a giant cut of meat. So, like, oh, I appreciate it, but lamb tongues are teeny tiny, so much that this recipe calls for 12 lamb tongues, and that serves four. Whoa! Whoa! That seems like an excess of lamb tongues. How do you... What I am guess I, the fucking small. queen of England? How well, is look, one it's to the procure... fucking main dish for Passover. It's a celebratory right. dish. It's a Paschal dish, get... after all. Oh, God. I mean, I'm going to say the a thing, but, like, the rest tongue. of this recipe... The rest of this recipe doesn't sound horrific. I think the worst part about the recipe is the lamb tongues. Because the rest of this recipe is a quarter cup of cider vinegar, a large onion, a quarter cup of lemon juice, a half cup of sugar. So it's like equal parts sugar to acids, which I think is not bad for a sweet sour Yeah, that's the sweet and sour of it. That's the sweet and sour. And then an 11-ounce can of tomato and mushroom sauce, which I assume is a Manischewitz thing, which would add, like, an umami thing. And, like, you know, Americans would add ketchup at this stage to a sweet and sour sauce, which is where you get that, like, bright red sweet and sour. Mm -hmm. I mean, I honestly... horrible. I honestly can't imagine adding any... When you're like, 
the grossest thing is yeah like the grossest when you thing were like is the, the grossest thing because, is like, the tongue because i can't even they're like and 45 goat eyes like what could be grosser <laughs> than i know like lamb's I, no, i see your point i see your point but like they could have made it worse like if there was cheese in here or fish All right, lights. I see your point. You know, like, okay. it, it could have been worse. It could have been. And there yeah, are garnish, some places where they, Garnish like, with it's fish truly, It's truly a more appalling recipe. But this, because right. neither of us can stomach the idea of eating tongue. But also, like, horrible. a tiny like, little lamb. I mean, what I a, lamb I all the time. I love lamb. I know. Okay. It's all delicious. Right. So, like, so long as I'm willing to eat a lamb, why am I, I not willing so. to eat the tongue? But it, the problem is the tongue. I guess you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So, so the thing is, is, like, if you are a person who likes tongue, I think this may not be a bad way to prepare it. Like, this could maybe be okay. I all don't right. tend to like sweet, sour things in the first place. If but... you are, so, listener, if you're a tongue lover, just walk away, Renee. This is not for you. This is not for you. Anyway. We don't have to oh, keep harping on this because I really can't think about lamb tongue. Okay, anymore. moving on. Next recipe. Next recipe. Okay, hold on. I need to turn the page. So the next recipe is something called a festive liver ring. Yes, there is nothing more festive than liver in a Jello mold. Bring it on. Okay, but it, to be fair, there's no actual Jello. Okay, because is it done with the schmaltz? Because gelatin is not often kosher. Correct. Good point. Okay. It's just the well, grainy fucking Well, you can get kosher gelatin, liver. which is a whole other thing. But, like, God bless the Jews that they, like, at least the, like, Ashkenormative food never descended into jello molds, as far as I know. So, in a festive liver ring, you take one Ugh. and a half pounds of liver and you broil okay. them. And then okay. you remove the skin. Now I wait. Did the not skin know. of what? I don't know. I didn't know. I've never thought of liver as something that had like a skin that needed to be removed. When I was six, I had liver and onions, and I was like, "No, that's my <laughs> fucking like Tara. Ne- I yeah. will never go hungry again. <laughs> I will never eat liver again. I will. I'm sorry, but that was it." It was so traumatic that I remember it. It's like a food trauma memory. And I I, uh-uh. I quite like the taste of liver, but I think that it needs to be. I like it in exactly two forms. I like liver okay. in pate and okay. I like liver in chopped liver, which is just lazy pate. Right, right. So it's a poor man's pate. It's a All poor right. man's pate. And then have you removed the skin in any of these preparations? I have never removed a skin. They also don't tell you what kind of liver. What skin are they talking about? Right. This could be. It's a cow's liver. We don't have that many options. Why would it be any other liver than that? Than what liver? Than calves liver. I don't know. I've never cooked calves liver in my life. I've always cooked chicken livers and I've always associated Jewish food with chicken livers. Maybe but I, is, but I don't I, know. Like, maybe this is calf's liver. Maybe this is beef liver. Like, the three choices available to us are calf, cow, which is, you know, just older calf, and chicken. Right. Because we don't do pork liver. Well, maybe liver. lamb. And I've never seen, maybe like, a lamb, lamb liver. liver. I've never even seen lamb liver on market. Have you? Well, I've never seen a fucking lamb's tongue, but goddamn, Manashevitz certainly... Anyway, well. undefined liver. You take... You broil an undefined liver and remove the undefined liver's undefined skin. Oh. 
God. And then you put it through a meat grinder with two medium onions. And then you mix okay. that whole thing with three quarters of a cup of matzo meal, two eggs, some salt, some pepper, and a ten and a half ounce can of condensed clear chicken soup, undiluted. And I think, I think what? this is where you get gelatin. Oh. I think this is what holds everything together. I think you're right. Along with the matzo meal right. and eggs, right? I because right. I think mm-hmm. when you make this, although you serve it heated, so I guess not, because then it would just be liquefied. So maybe it's just for flavor. I'm just making that up clearly. All right. So chicken soup. I talked myself out of it. Chicken soup and then a quarter and a, a quarter <laughs> of a cup. What? You're just laughing it's at me funny. talking myself, myself out, out of, of it. I did. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so you mix all of that together along with a quarter cup of tomato and mushroom sauce again from a can, an 11-ounce can. So again, this must be a Manischewitz that I've just never seen before. You pack all of that into a well-greased six-cup ring mold, which you could, if you want extra ease and removal, you can line it with an oiled cheesecloth because you obviously have one of those lying around. The fuck you say? An oiled cheesecloth? I don't. I don't know. All right. Go on. Okay. So then you bake it at 350 for 45 minutes, which like, I mean, I guess you have to cook the eggs. But so like, why did you broil the liver ahead of time so that you could remove the skin? I don't understand. That I didn't know existed? I don't understand why they're so squeamish about cooking the eggs when a mere few chapters before this, they had you drinking a fucking beet shake with raw egg in it. I know. Hmm. Uh, Anyway, so you bake that. You turn it out on a platter. You fill the center with cooked and seasoned carrot slices. Oh, delicious. And and serve with the balance of the tomato and mushroom sauce heated. So you like pour that tomato mushroom sauce over it. What is that? That's not creamy. It's not like a. Because it can't be no, because I it wouldn't be kosher. To, I think it's like jarred spaghetti sauce, but in a can. Oh, God, Lord. Which Jewish, sounds like liver Jewish and spaghetti Jesus sauce sounds salt. gross. Oh my God, I cannot. I cannot. Oh, it's it's a it's a it's essentially know, a meatloaf. I mean, maybe that's it's because you're used to you're used to having um liver with the skin on. So it could be a totally different situation. Yeah, maybe skinned... that's the problem. Maybe yeah. that's where all that weird grit comes from. Where, what the is fuck the is skin? the skin of a liver? Chef, really let me sure. know. Oh, God. Anyway. Okay, but this is essentially like a liver meatloaf. Because mm. like with pâtés and chopped liver, you're like spreading it on. You're not just like taking a spoon and going at it. Right. You know, like well, do you're they not- spreading it on something else. There's usually a pickle or a jam or a poached fruit involved, something like that. Do they recommend that you serve it with tam-tams? No, you serve it with tomato and mushroom sauce heated. I think you're just eating a slice of this shit. So we're going to skip past the rest of main dishes, but then there's a chapter called, in quotes, other meals, then end quote, main dishes. So like what? I think it is main dishes that aren't meat is what they mean. But Manischewitz is like casting a little shade at like anything that's not that's not a meat based (laughs) main dish. They're like, if you must, here are some options. 
for when your social justice warrior daughter comes home from Smith, if you must, <laughs> you may make her this dish. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Okay. But their very first quote unquote main dish oh, no. is called a creamy marmalade Mm-mm. omelet. Oh! Which like... So what? the idea of a sweet omelet in general is no, something that I find no, no. horrifying. Putting sweet into eggs. Like, I know there are people when they get, like, a big breakfast of, like, one of those combo breakfasts that's, like, pancakes and scrambled eggs and bacon or sausage and da 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 But I feel and like just that's different. pour maple syrup over the whole thing. Over, oh, yeah. And I, like... I dated a guy who did that, and I watched him do it, and I almost broke up with him because of it. Like, I couldn't watch it. it it's so, like, and I know, I'm, no judgment on you, listener, if you do this, but I, like, I can't watch it. The idea of, like, sweet eggs. It's the same thing when people put sugar or jam on matzo bread. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's like an immediate visceral reaction where I'm like, this is how the world is divided. Right. People who think that eggs absolutely should not have anything sweet on them and everybody else. And, like, so creamy marmalade omelet is probably, again, like the lamb tongues, not the grossest mm. thing in this book. Mm. Because, again, God, we went past nippy fish back, canapes. I can't even revisit the fucking lamb tongue. Anyway, know, go okay. on. okay. But my point is that it's probably not the worst thing in this book, and I cannot stomach the idea of it. I also fucking hate marmalade. It's too sweet. For a thing made out of citrus, there's no acid in it. I fucking hate it. No, it's a rude rude jam. It's a fucking rude jam. It's a rude jam, and I don't like it. My dad does it. Every year I make marmalade because our neighbors have tons of oranges. We have tons of lemons, so I make marmalade. I give all of the jars to my dad. I truly hate it. He it's loves also it, makes him happy. how fucking offensive that you're going to sit there and pour three like gallons of sugar into I this know. wine to make it palatable, and then you're gonna serve me a nasty jellied fucking <laughs> orange rind. Go fuck yourself, sir. Go fuck yourself. Excuse okay. me. So this recipe is first of all, it's an omelet where you have to separate eggs, which I'm like immediately like fuck you forever. Wow, does that ever happen? An like omelet you don't where have you separate to... eggs? I thought the whole. I don't think you should have to. Like this is meant to be a creamy, I the, puffy I thought omelet. The whole idea of an omelet is that it's all together. That, anyway, I, that's what I think it should be. But apparently, if you want a creamy, puffy omelet, here's what you do: you separate six eggs. This serves four. So you separate six eggs. You beat the yolks until thick and lemon colored. And then beat half a cup of sour cream and salt into those yolks. And then you beat the egg whites until stiff but not dry and fold the whites into the yolk mixture. You melt some butter in a large skillet and pour in the egg mixture and cook over very low heat about 10 minutes or until lightly browned on the bottom. Then you put the whole fucking thing in a 350 oven for 10 to 15 minutes until the top is dry and springs back when oh, good. Dry eggs. That's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. Dry it's eggs. Dry, puffed up eggs. And then you slide the whole thing. You loosen it up and you slide it onto a warm plate. And you serve it with a mixture on top of a half a cup of orange marmalade and the last quarter cup and the last half of a cup of sour cream. So it's really just 
Uh, overworked oh. dry eggs with marmalade and sour cream on top. It sounds. Is that a souffle? I don't. It's wrong. Is what it, it is. In the oven. I'm offended by this recipe. It makes the it makes the know. easy part of an omelet more complicated, and it then seems, puts marmalade on top of it. It seems very fussy. I don't know. I don't. I. I uh, there's something that does not jive with this recipe for me. Is it the marmalade on eggs? I don't know. It's a bit too new world for me. It's like it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. I All right. I hate it. Okay. okay. So then we enter the section of the other meals main dishes where it's theoretically the fish section. Oh. But really really it's the gefilte fish section. Right. Of course it's the gefilte fish section. And I honestly could have picked... Is there any other kind of... Jo- I guess herring. Does Manischewitz make herring too? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. But they, so this they is, also... They, like, the jarred... they have a few... They have a few recipes where they're like, get some fish fillets. Oh. Like, get some cod. Get some, like, whatever kosher fish you can get. Okay. And, like, you know... But then there's a whole section of it... That's really just right. gefilte fish based. And right. I could have picked right. any one of these. What it's I a jarred pick, fish topia. Yes. What I did pick was something called savory fish in potato nests. Oh, that doesn't sound bad. That does mm-hmm. not sound bad. It has bad. both gefilte fish and American cheese in it. Ah! <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the appropriate reaction. I don't know why anybody would do that. Anybody. All right. We'll get into it. What's happening? Okay. So you take a one pound jar of gefilte fish. You drain them. And then you mash them. So it's a mashed fish that has been coagulated into a log that is then mashed again. It's It's a a deconstructed gefilte, if you will. Okay. It's a fish meatball that you've squished. Great. Okay. Okay. And I should say... I fucking love gefilte fish. I really do. I also love but, a gefilte. But this sounds appalling. Uh-huh. Okay. You drain Listener, if you've the never gef- had gefilte fish, how would you explain? It's like, it's it's like a, a fish, fish meatloaf. It's like a fish it's meatloaf, a fish right? Meatloaf. That's exactly what it is. It's a fish meatloaf. It is gray. I mean, the, it's, wouldn't you? It's not an attractive dish. No. But it and is... people try to dress it up with like a little slice of carrot and like a tiny, like, you know, that, that parsley parsley and that bright bit of like the colored yeah. horseradish, mm-hmm. right? Which again is, as far as I'm concerned, the only way to eat like a gefilte fish. I agree. I and totally agree. There are frozen options of gefilte fish available. Mm. And those are like shockingly good. And... I had gefilte fish two years ago that somebody made from scratch. Yes, I've had that and too. And holy shit, this is a different fucking world. That it's stuff is goddamn delicious. Diff- it's a different ball game. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And it's not that color. It's not like that gray. No, it's a lovely like white fish color. Yeah, it, right. It doesn't and look like. And then with like, like flecks of green. It doesn't look like Pennywise, but without the hat and nose. <laughs> It's so good. It's delicious. It's, uh, you know what? Maybe I'll make a filter fish now that I have all this fucking downtime. Oh, I think you should. 
No, nobody has fucking downtime. But you have time to make a gefilte. I know. You know, the nice part about the weekends during pandemic, at the very least, is like when I want to project cook, it makes all the sense in the world because I have nothing but time on the weekend. I love that. I know. We don't have anything. We don't have to take the kids anywhere. We don't have to do I know. anything. There's no appointments. There's no, there's nothing. Okay. So we've only gotten to the gefilte fish body of this recipe. But you take your jar of of gefilte fish and you've drained them and you've mashed them. Mm -hmm. And then you add a half cup of grated American cheese, some lemon juice, and a small minced onion. I guess that's better than lemon juice. No. No, I guess it's better. Well, what I was imagining was that you, um, you know, the, the cheese in the packets in the plastic wrap. That you unwrap and that stuff. I mean, you can't grate. No, it's, it's a- the same thing. It's the same thing, but it's the block form, like the Velveeta form, where you grate it. All right, so, so you're mixing that into the gefilte fish. You're combining uh, three, and then in, separately, you're combining three cups of mashed potatoes with a quarter cup of matzo meal, an egg, some melted butter. Nama, you know and- what this is starting to sound like? What? It's starting to sound like gefilte fish mozzarella cheese sticks. No, mozzarella would be better. Mozzarella is real cheese. So it's like, is it, is what is about to happen here gefilte slash American cheese sticks? I need to warn you that I don't think that this is actually definable. You need to stop finding. There are no boundaries. Looking for like a reference point. There isn't one. It's yeah. just awful. I need a buoy somewhere in this sea it's of weird. Awful. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So you're making this like mashed potato mixture that for some reason has matzah meal and egg in it along with butter, salt, and pepper. So then you take that mashed potato mixture and you turn it into four to six nests. Now remember that there were three cups of mashed potatoes to begin with and then you mixed about like another half a cup in there so this is like half cup sized at least nests of mashed potato mixture not huge Mm -hmm. you drop so you make little nests by dropping mounds onto a greased baking sheet and making Mm -hmm. an indentation in each with a spoon Mm -hmm. and then you fill each nest with this mashed cheesy gefilte fish oh wait now this does have a reference point no yes what are they called what croquettes no it's a gefilte no. croquette. No, because a croquette, a croquette is like a like stuffed ball of something and then fried. But oh, you wouldn't so stuff it with fried. fucking gefilte fish and American cheese. Well, you might if it's a gefilte croquette. But you don't. And then All right, these, this is a croquette. You also then you then you also top these. With tomato slices, you top each one with a tomato slice and sprinkle more grated American cheese over the rest of them. Oh, over all of them. Yeah, this is not going. And bake them until they're browned. That's horrible. There's a version of all of this where it's all mixed up together and then fried, and then that's called a fisherman's potato pancake. That sounds delicious. That does you sound have like forgotten a croquette. The American fucking cheese. I know we've talked about this. You know how I hate the dairy with the with the fish, but I can't. Oh God. There's also a version of this that's just like 
minus the cheese, but including walnuts and sweet cream ah! and a can of tomato and mushroom sauce ah! and blend it all together. And that is called Yom Tov fish. No, meats. it's not. It's not mm-hmm. called Yom Tov. It is. No. Yom Tov. There is nothing Tov about a Yom that includes fish okay. and sweet cream. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay. Oh, uh, God. Listener. Wait. Non, Non-Jewish listener, since you're here, Yom Tov means, like, holiday. Tov means good. And Yom means day. Oh, my God. I'm really nauseated okay. now. I'm so glad that I ate yeah, that sandwich first. You should be. Because now I don't want it's to disgusting. eat anything. And now, we have been persecuted as a people. Have we not suffered sometimes, enough? Sometimes... The people, sometimes people who have been abused themselves Become wind up the abusers. being their own kind of abusers. Yeah, that's what so we're looking at here. there is a recipe in here with its own level of racism. Oh, no. Called Oriental Eggplant Casserole. No, not yeah. my people. And what appears to make this Oriental is first that it is eggplant, which what? to... Which to the Ashkenazis does not appear to be a like normal set of food. I think that's a Middle Eastern thing. Okay. So I think that they may mean that kind of Orient. Okay. And second, that it is made with peanut oil. Oh no. (laughs) That's it. Oh no. There's nothing else in here. Also, I just like I need to warn you because I can't let this take you by surprise, Jesse. Oh God. That for some reason there's cottage cheese in here. And like I, I don't know why, I don't know why. Oh God! And oh that God. that sounds truly disgusting to me. Like the idea of eggplant and cottage cheese sounds. Uh, okay, so you God. saute some thinly sliced are onion. Are you sure there are no water chestnuts or like a hidden thing of those? I'm telling you, crunchy. There's nothing like chickadee china, the Chinese chicken salad, crunchy things. All right, go on. I I promise I you. Don't, I okay. can't. So I'm you saute already, some I'm like. Rocking in a corner naked, getting ready to listen to whenever <laughs> the fucking cottage cheese, like, reign of horror starts. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's funny. Right. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so you thinly slice an onion and you saute it in either peanut oil or butter. So, like, the peanut oil is actually optional here. Oh, okay. So it's not you even the- oriental. No. So then you peel the eggplant and cut it into half-inch cubes, and you combine the eggplant with the onion, a quarter cup of diced green pepper, an 11-ounce can of tomato and mushroom sauce, which again is the same thing that we put on the festive liver ring. Correct. Salt and pepper. And then you cover and cook that in the same pan that you fried the onion in. All right, so this sounds like ratatouille so far. You know what? Basically, yeah. All right. You cover, but with eggplant instead of zucchini. Right. Okay. So you cover and cook this in t- for 15 minutes until the eggplant is tender. Then you s- stir in two large tomatoes that have been peeled and diced. All right. So in a greased two-quart baking dish, you arrange alternate layers of this vegetable mix, a pound of cottage cheese. Oh, no. And then, uh, and then matzah farfel, which is like just this, like broken up pieces of matzah, essentially. 
Oh, God. So you are making somewhere lasagna. between a lasagna and a parfait? As oh, as I can oh tell. no. Oh, God. And beginning and ending with the vegetables. And then you bake all of that uncovered in a moderate oven for 20 minutes. Although I can't understand how that would make it better. All right. Now, wait. Um, okay. This doesn't sound... I'm, I could volunteer to make this, even though it does have cottage cheese in it. Because I feel like the cottage cheese here is being used like a ricotta. So, like, if you put... it. I mean, I could imagine Right, if this, this was ricotta not... instead of cottage cheese, it wouldn't be that gross. No, sounding. it's the fucking cottage cheese. It's the cottage cheese. It's the angriest of all dairy I, products. I, to be fair, and I yet the this least recipe, metal. The least I metal. This recipe. I picked this recipe for the what I knew would cheese. be your reaction, and Ugh. for the title Oriental, which like I don't like I don't understand. I don't understand why they called this oriental eggplant casserole. I can only imagine that they meant oriental in terms of like Sephardic. Well, and I think also when they serve it, someone bangs a gong and that's what happens. (laughs) And then boom, it's oriental. And scene. Oh, God. Okay, So I have one final recipe. Oh, God. This was good. Seven recipes is the perfect amount, by the way. Okay, this is good. perfect. And we're skipping over the fact that Manischewitz has an entire chapter called, and I quote, fried things, which like, bless them. God damn. Listen, that's only a plus in my book. Okay. So this is a very short recipe because it is a uh, fancif- Manischewitzly fancified version <laughs> of a Waldorf salad. Oh. And it is called... Oh, you know what? I thought it was called Super Waldorf Salad, but it's actually called Supper Waldorf Salad. I've been reading it wrong oh, this whole time. Let's continue to call it the Super Waldorf Salad okay, then. Super that Waldorf makes, Salad. You know, so feel good about yourself. Ta- we've talked about Waldorf Salad on this podcast before, and it is a thing that sounds disgusting and that turns out is fucking delicious. Now explain again what a Waldorf Salad is for listeners. So a Waldorf Salad is celery, apples, walnuts and mayonnaise some people, and mayonnaise like a mayonnaise dressing mm-hmm. and greg's aunt makes it for thanksgiving every year and some years she puts in like sliced like crisp red grapes which is insanely delicious in it and some years she does one better and she does kind of like rehydrated and plumped dried cherries which mm. is like insane and i could eat that shit all day mm. i I have all of these things in my house and I could easily make this and somehow her making it for Thanksgiving is like the thing that I need to make Thanksgiving complete. This year she wasn't able to come to Thanksgiving at the last minute and I like, I like never felt like we really had Thanksgiving because we didn't have the salad. And it, it is not a thing that should be good. Like this combination of things covered in mayonnaise is not a thing that should be good. But it's fucking delicious. And the Manischewitz version of this is do this whole thing, the same thing that sounds disgusting, it should be disgusting, but is delicious, and then add a one-pound jar of gefilte fish or fishlets. Oh, no. Oh, Mm -hmm. no. And serve it in crisp lettuce Why would you do that? Oh, no! You shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. Again, I love Waldorf salad, and I quite like a filter fish, and this is not okay. This is not a thing anybody should do. I really couldn't think of a worse thing to add. I mean, like, I guess maybe lamb tongues. <laughs> I 
guess. I mean, you know what? Actually, I think like, that the I think that know? the gefilte fish is worse. I think that the gefilte <laughs> fish is worse. Like if you had to add a meat to a Waldorf salad, which you should fucking shouldn't do. But you know, okay, so we like the Waldorf salad and we like gefilte fish. Like I like chicken soup and I like chocolate, but the two should not combine. Yeah. Right? Oh, or I like God. I like beef stew and I like whipped cream. <laughs> but that's terrible. Like there's some things that don't go together. Like there's no combination where that can happen. I like gummy bears and I also like guacamole. But the two oh, God, don't that's belong. Terrible. That's a terrible one. <laughs> All right, well what are you going to make? I don't know. Are we really cooking gross food that can be wasted in a pandemic? I feel like that's irresponsible. It is irresponsible. All right. I think that we have to stop on the making ones. That's fine. On the on the minisodes for now. We can stop on the minisodes for now. We shouldn't. We should not waste food during a pandemic. You're absolutely right. And also, I gotta tell you, like facing a store and specifically the white people store to like get this stuff, risking COVID. No. For right, for a lamb's tongue, no. No. We're not gonna do that. We're not. You're doing so that. wise, Nama. Stay at home. Stay St- the fuck home, stay everybody. Stay at home. Keep your tongues in your mouths. <laughs> yes. Please do. Oh my god. All right, listener. It's been so long. We've missed you. But I know. We're happy we hope to be you back. enjoy this special pandemic Passover crossover of gag reflex. We uh we thought it important to bring you this episode in these most trying of times. You know, there are some people who are nurses and doctors on the front lines saving lives. We, too, are saving lives. Yes. When discussing <laughs> meal at a time, let it be known that according One. to Manischewitz and every other cookbook that we've covered here so far, so listen to back episodes, anything that is already in your pantry, you can make it edible. You see? You can make it edible. You might not like it, but you can eat it. Oh, my God. We really are and that's, healing the world one lamb tongue yeah, at a time. That's the lesson of regrettable cookbooks. I have to tell you, I... There have been so many people sending me that like meme me about yeah. like fifties housewives being like, "This is our time." You made fun yeah. of my Jello molds, but look at me now, me and too. I'm like, "Yeah, but I gotta tell you, I tasted that stuff, and it's not worth it." Like, have the no. Jello separate from the corned beef, everybody. It's like, all right. That's actually an option. It's okay you to wash two to dishes. <laughs> yeah, you can have two things. You don't have to combine the things. Oh, my God. Please. That's the lesson of this pandemic is you have time at home. Cook the two things. Don't do put the them two together. Dishes. It doesn't. It's not going to make you do fancier. The, no. And it's Lemon not going to make Jello you a hero does, in anyone's eye. Lemon jello does not improve canned meat. Oh, my God. It's almost cocktail time, Nama. Ah, go have a cocktail, Jess. I'm a couple hours away. All right. Sure will. Love you. Mean it, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Reflex. Big Stitch Dandas from here. Big Reflex. Big Stitch Dandas from here.